This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia and welcome to episode 193 of the Half Measures Podcast. I'm once again joined by my friend and co-host, Mr. Paul Kanawa. How are you tonight, pal? Very well, Dan. Kia ora, how are you? I am doing very well. It's, uh, you know, about, what, three weeks till the, the sort of the the holiday break. And I guess the big question, Paul, is uh, what is on your Christmas list this year? My Christmas list is sadly a lot uh less exciting than it would normally be and that's because i've been really naughty over the last few months and mm. i have p- purchased all of the things i've wanted and have wanted for some time i might add i've sold a number of things to finance those things but i just got sick of waiting and there was all kinds of specials and most recently the black friday sale i purchased a pair of bone conduction headphones which by the way are fantastic um so yeah so my list this year is is really basics that I wouldn't bore listeners with in terms of the things I need that don't necessarily want. All right, well, let, let, let's let's dive into this bone conducting, um, that's what she said, headphones. So how do they work? Like, so, because they don't go in your ears, right? Is it just kind of like sound vibrations through your skull? Like, how does it? That's right, which sounds terrifying. And I was not into the idea of them at all until I heard a few people talking about them who are runners. And I was like, well, I need something for cycling because I like to be able to hear my surroundings at the same time as music. So I thought I'd I'd give it a go. And yeah, they just sit just above sort of the front of the the ear, not in the ear, not behind the ear, not around the ear, just in front of the ear. And there is a slight vibration depending on how loud you you have it when you're listening to it and that's noticeable but it's surprising how quickly you don't notice that and yeah you can hear whatever you know your podcast your music whatever really quite well and you can hear everything around you you can hear people coming past you all the rest of it but they can't hear your what you're listening to it's the best of both worlds i mean i could i could wear just like we're wearing now these these airpod pros you know which because they they they're loud noise ambient so you can hear your surroundings but the fact is i don't want something that i could risk falling out of my ear when i'm cycling you know so this is perfect Shop. this is this is we a, should be sponsored by them i've done such a good promo for them this is a, all the guns headphones purchased oh. for the athletic person in your life absolutely <laughs> and also just for the guy that goes out on the weekend for a bike ride it's um yeah just really and with the black friday sale there was some really decent deals on these these uh what they call shocks um and yeah i most of the retailers i've sort of you, know, you can go in and sort of try them on and see if it's for you or not straight away um isn't but it that crazy? was that was going to be my christmas present yeah isn't it crazy just how um how global well We've just, we, I feel like in New Zealand, like we've just embraced like Black Friday, Cyber Monday so much now. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like it's been slowly creeping in for the last, you know, sort of several years, but I feel like we're like deep in it now. And it's not just Black Friday, it's like these are the build up to Black Friday. It's happening for two or three weeks. Yeah. I, um, before I ask you, Dan, about your list, I will say that the other thing that's not boring, the big present that my wife and I are sharing is we're going to get ourselves a, 
a smart TV for the bedroom because as we get older, we find ourselves watching more and more TV shows in the bedroom and I can't be bothered with casting stuff or whatever. And so we're just going to get a smaller version of the lounge TV and chuck, chuck that up on the wall in the bedroom. So, yeah, so that's that's probably the, the most exciting thing that's coming for Christmas for me this year. What about you, Dan? Um, I realise in asking you this question, I've put no thought into it myself because it came to me about <laughs> three, three seconds before I, I asked you. Um, yeah, look, I don't know. I'm, I'm probably a bit like you. I feel like I kind of buy things throughout the year, so it's quite hard to kind of – I better I better tune my mind to it, though. Otherwise, I'll, I'll find myself getting nothing. I'll be on uh, Santa's naughty list. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to think about it. Maybe it's it's difficult, eh? Because I feel like you know, and we've talked about this before. Like back in the day, like you might say, "Oh, give me a, you know, a CD or a Blu-ray yep. or something," you know. Exactly. And I feel like it's just like these. It's those things don't exist anymore. But um, interestingly, well, they true. do exist. We've we've been down this path. That's and we've true. been caught out. They do that's exist. True. That's true. That's true. But <laughs> it's not as as common. And it, there's something in the news text later on today. But I think there's such a, a comeback of people sort of owning media. Maybe we'll see more of that. Um, yes, correct. But anyway, Paul, I, I digress. What have you been watching this week? Well, Dan, talking of comebacks, this week I watched The Star Beast, and that is the return of Doctor Who. The return of David Tennant to Doctor Who. Uh, not returning as the Doctor he played for many years, but as a new Doctor, new incarnation, 14th Doctor, who happens to have the same face. And we don't know why he has the same face. And, and interestingly, he doesn't know why either. Um, and so the synopsis for this one, the Doctor's caught in a fight to the death as a spaceship crash lands in London. But as the battle wreaks havoc, destiny is converging on the Doctor's old friend Donna, who is played by Catherine Tate, who is also returning to the show. And she plays the same Donna Noble character that she played back uh, when David Tennant was the Doctor years ago. So... It's been much hyped about. I've talked about it a lot. It's the first Doctor Who I've watched live and, you know, with the rest of the world as it airs since I since David Tennant was last the Doctor in like 2008. So, yeah, that's the first thing I've got on the on the agenda tonight, Dan. Well, uh, a little treat for you, Paul. I had an hour's beer tonight before the podcast and I thought, you know what? I'll chuck on this uh, Doctor Who and I'll, I'll join Paul in a conversation. Um, and is it the meat that we seek? Correct. Oh, brilliant. This is fantastic. Okay, well, I was about to say I'll go real spoiler light, but now that you've got some some contents, we might dive a little bit bit deeper. But um, I'm really curious to hear what you think. But just to give context, this is all part of the 60th celebrations of, of, of Doctor Who, following on from Jodie Whittaker's finale last year when she regenerated into this David Tennant Doctor. Yeah, look, I thought I'd give it a go because I thought it would be interesting um just to kind of come at it from uh, someone who's like not up to not up to current state, I've obviously, you know, watched a little bit of uh, Doctor Who, particularly when we connect with our friends over on Time Traveling Temp with Trisha and Brady. Um, Brady, <laughs> Trisha and Brady, <laughs> and Brady. I love that. that. That's a combination. Sorry, Trisha, Trisha and Patty. Um, <clears throat> and I thought it would just be interesting to like come in and say, like, you know, can I pick up the storyline? Doesn't like. Is it okay for a newcomer? And I, look, I'm pleased to say I, I had no trouble just sort of jumping into the story. Um, it was, look, uh, to be honest with you, like I, I, I don't know whether Doctor Who is truly uh, a genre for me, but I, I actually had a really good time watching this episode and I thought the, the story was fun, the effects were fun. I thought it was um, 
quite comedic and yeah, yeah it was yeah. a it was a good time but I'll, I'll let you do the the deep dive into it and i'll i'll chime in with my um muggle five cents as we go through very good i love that you've watched it i love that you use the word fun as well because that's something that i really felt throughout this is it was a tremendously fun story one of those that was you know great for adults and kids i watched this with you know my nine-year-old daughter who i think is becoming my new who buddy um and you know i think that's an important facet of doctor who since i grew up watching you know doctor who back in the 80s with my dad and it's stuck ever since and i think too many shows that were accessible to us as kids and they're longer like that these days, you know, in their current iterations, but Doctor Who remains largely fine for kids, you know, nine or 10 or older to watch. So, yeah, so I thought it was a really fun story as well. I think it's worth noting that Russell T Davies is back at the helm of Doctor Who. He's returning as the showrunner, which I think is a very popular decision, broadly speaking, with Doctor Who fans. Uh, And I think it's the return to form after some of the writing not being as good as i've talked about in my recent reviews of the of the previous seasons that really was the difference for me because i thought it was a good balance between action between mystery like you say lots of humor david Tennant feels so natural in the tardis it's like he's never left and of course they do that little thing at the start where he sort of monologues to the camera explaining you know i can't see donna ever again if i do she'll die so you know as a newcomer as per se coming in you you can just pick it up all around quite easily so um I do have some 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 criticisms that I would like to dive into, and now that you've watched it, it'll be more interesting. But um, overall, I thought this was a really, really great s- start to these 60th anniversary specials. Yeah, look, I, I really enjoy David Tennant just as, a, as an actor in general. Um, and I think, you know, even for me, like he felt so natural in this role and it kind of felt like a, a comfortable pair of track pants that he put back on and he, and he just kind of fell yeah. right into it. I... I guess the the thing that was sort of interesting for me is um, like Catherine Tate, I, like obviously you know pretty famous comedian, but I really associated with her role in The Office and even her IMDb picture holding up the little triangle iPad um, from The oh, Office. Yeah. And I just yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think of her as I'm waiting for the the goofs and the gags, but it, it's a bit more serious from her and like not not all the time, but. Um, and that, that sort of took me a while to get into it. But I think what I really enjoyed about the story overall is I, it kind of started and I was like, oh, is this for me? And then it kind of, it just kind of slowly kind of like hooked me in and it kind of reminded me of the, I use the word fun again, the fun sort of characters and costumes and, and even this main character, the Meep, kind of, I love the kind of the, 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 the twist in the story. So Meep, the Meep. The voice of the meat, uh, Miriam Margolis, she's hilarious in real life. If you've ever seen her on like Graham Norton or, or in any sort of, of the TikTok videos of her, she's a brilliant voiceover as as the meat. I thought all of the support cast were 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 really good in this. Actually, um, some of them returning, you know, previously from back in the day um, when they were yeah you know, with, with Donna as part of her family back in back in those days. But um, I really felt that. Uh, what was her name? Uh, Yasmin Finney was really good as 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 um, her character, Ruth Madley. What was the show she was in? Years and years, that was it. Which was another Russell T Davies production. I thought she was really, really good as well. I've, I found her very, very convincing. Um, and the TARDIS. I mean, we have to talk a little bit about the TARDIS because it's you know it's largely looked the same on the outside for, for years. This blue police box. But the inside has changed with each doctor for years now. And this latest change I thought was 
superb like people always go in and say oh it's bigger on the inside but this new TARDIS interior takes it to a new level and I think they've pulled off a a fantastic uh, look that will be I think quite memorable uh, as the years go by yeah no look it was good I, I don't really have any point of reference apart from the real old school TARDIS so I thought it looked good and, and, and fun as well and I think I'm with you on the support cast um, I, I do have a question for you Is so Yasmin Finney who played um, Rose Noble, is this Rose I presume a different Rose you know how there was a um, yeah, Billy Piper's the, Rose Billy Piper Rose, different Rose I'm presuming yeah absolutely and there's been a number of people, a number of people have had, have taken issue with, with the character and I think the the fact that they went with the name Rose as well has triggered a number of people for different reasons. And I, I, I don't see it as being a, a problem whatsoever. I, I thought she was good, but um, yeah, definitely a different Rose to the, the, the Billy Piper Rose. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. So are we expecting, so is David Tennant, he's going to be in, cause how, is there three of these specials that are coming out? Is that right? Yes, yeah, so we've got the three specials. We've got one each weekend for the next two weeks, and then we've got the Christmas special as well, um, which has become a bit of a um, bit of a tradition uh, these days now with Doctor Who. Um, and then, and then the expectation is at some point that yeah, the the keys to the Tales will be handed over. We have a new incoming Doctor, the mm. fifteenth uh, Doctor, will be coming in in twenty twenty four. So, um, so yeah, so there's a lot of Who coming up, which is which is great. Um, the, the points I was going to make, um, I think you said the costumes were good and I would, I would agree to a certain extent, but I actually thought that the aliens were just a little bit too, too budget looking for me. And it's weird because it's obvious that they have a decent budget based on everything else about the show, the sets, you know, the titles, the production, the effects, the directing, the lighting, sound effects, the whole works. I just thought the look of these aliens and the costumes they're in, you know, I thought it must have been deliberate and I just, I just don't get it. And I need someone to explain that one to me because it just felt a little bit too, I don't know, just not quite there. Look, at, at fear of offending um, some of our Patreon producers and the whole Who community around the globe, I have just come to expect that the uh, creatures are always sort of at a bit of a lower tier. So it's just the way that, you know, the way that it is in Doctor Who, like it's always, like it's part of its charm is my understanding. Yeah. So I felt like, like, yep, they, they definitely look like um, people in giant fly suits, but it didn't matter at the end of the day. It just kind of felt, mm. it just felt like, it just felt like Who to me. Yeah. No, I th- I, I think saying it felt like Who is, it it's in fitting with the show. I would give it that much. The other minor criticisms I had was so that story line around the binary non-binary I'm just going to be honest and say I thought it was a little bit too dimensional a little bit forced and I think it was a very good idea and I thought it was really clever how they wanted to make it pivotal to the plot but they I just thought they went about it a little bit clumsily I've chatted to a few people who watched it and they've used you know they've used words like oh agenda and I don't subscribe to that but I do think they need to pay just a bit more attention to the script and the delivery of the of the dialogue but that's a minor criticism of something i really enjoyed to be honest again i like it was definitely kind of it really stood out but i i felt like 
they were kind it felt like a very inclusive like episode right like they had so 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 many different things going on um again it it just for me it didn't it didn't stick out in a good or bad way it kind of just felt like they were trying to do something uh that brought the community together yeah no and i and i think that's the most important thing so yeah so i I definitely recommend this. It's really good because I was I was going to actually say I think you could start from here and just join in, and, and your evidence of that straight away, colourful, you know, really uplifting. It's it's hard not to love having David Tennant back for a couple of specials. Old Doctor's returning is is all part of the fun of Doctor Who, and in years to come, I'd like to think we'll have you know Matt Smith and Jodie Whittaker and. Maybe Peter Capaldi, he's always said he would never return. But, you know, I just think having them come back would be great. And overall, I think this picks up off the energy of the power of the Doctor, which was Jodie's finale. That um, You know, I just thought it was adventurous, looked great, and is a really, like I say, a really good way to celebrate the 60th anniversary. So it'd be interesting to see if they can keep this energy and, yeah, just see if it can keep it going across the next two specials. Are you going to be watching the next two specials? Are we going to be able to do some extra mini watches? Yeah, look, I, I don't know. Like, I sort of, like, going back to my earlier point, like, I don't really know if the if Doctor Who is for me, but I felt like I could sort of, like, could jump in. I had an okay time, but I also feel like if I never saw another episode again, it would be yeah. okay. Do you know what I mean? Okay. So, I, yeah. Like, like I, I might do, but it's... um. This this it just it doesn't click with me instantly. But I'll, if I get time, I'll definitely try and um, watch it so that we can have another conversation about it. Awesome. Well, if you do want to watch that, this this is on uh, Disney Plus. This is of course streaming in the UK on BBC iPlayer. But for the rest of the world, it's on Disney Plus, with the exception, I think, of North Korea and the Republic of Ireland. And that's that's a story that. I won't dive into now, but suffice to say how the Republic of Ireland don't get access to this through the BBC or Disney Plus is quite extraordinary. I won't even dare ask any more questions on that. It'll it'll send us into a different podcast. Anything else on your list this week? Indeed, yeah. I'll tell you, Dan, I've got a couple of things out. I now also have season three of Only Murders in the Building. Um... I will say straight off, this is a show I'm not sure. You, this is a show I don't think you can walk into season three and enjoy it as much unless you've watched the first two seasons. And secondly, I'll also say that the first two seasons are better. So that's twice the reason not to try and jump into season three. If anyone's thinking of watching the show, definitely go back to season one. This is about um, three strangers who live in the same New York City apartment building. They share an obsession with true crime and they suddenly find themselves involved with a murder and they start a podcast together um the podcast joke that continues through this is continuously amusing i don't know about you but whenever i hear jokes about podcasts now it always resonates just that little bit more um this is uh selena gomez steve martin man in short i think for me the reason this story well this sorry this season isn't quite as uh didn't quite excite me as much as the as the first two seasons is that it's just it just needs a bit of a shake up in the writing it's starting to feel a little bit same same and i'm not getting that much new stuff to the first 
two seasons. So that would probably be my first complaint. But that being said, there's there's still so much about this show that I love and they're making a fourth season and I'm 100% going to be there for those seasons because it's still solid. I think the three reasons I would put that down to is one, the banter and the chemistry between um, Steve Martin and Martin Short and all the history that comes with it, you know, because they've been doing movies since like the last 30 years or whatever. They're both very sharp in their 70s. Some very good singing in this season, I might add, from both of them. They even make jokes in the movie about father of the bride that they both starred in together it's 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 quite funny the second reason uh selena gomez i think is very very good uh, you know i know she's famous from disney stuff as whatever but murder in the buildings is my first time seeing it and i think season to season on she just gets funnier as her relationship with those characters deepens and i think um you know she's very very good but the third one the big draw card for season three uh, the additional members of the cast so each season they always bring in some guest actors to be some of the potential suspects or, or victims of the murder in the building and season three you know we had Paul Rudd uh, Matthew Broderick and perhaps most impressive of all was uh, Meryl Streep um, it's the second time I've seen her on in a tv show this year after extrapolations but I think this is definitely her best tv performance I've ever seen great opposite Martin Short. Paul Rudd was very funny, over the top in places in a very funny way. And Matthew Broderick's role was also quite good because he plays himself. So there is a lot going on here. Despite the criticisms I've brought in, I still would say this is worth watching. It's funny because this is a, a show that I've kind of, since you, you, you talked about the first season um, many, many podcasts ago, it's kind of been on my radar but it's never quite made it to the the top of the pile. And it's kind of every time they drop a new season, I'm like, oh, I must get into the show. Um, interesting, often this is the way, isn't it? The time you get to season three, there's a, a little bit of a lull. Um, but it looks, as you you know, as you said the first time, as you said this time, quality cast, quality storytelling. Uh, it looks like it's got all the all the good ingredients. Is, is this sort of, would you put this in the, the palate cleanser kind of category or is this a bit more? 100%. Yeah, okay. that's that's how we watch it. In fact, as a as a and they're sort of like you know thirty minute episodes, so they they're they're quite easy in that respect to you know what you know, watch as a lunchtime thing or before you go to sleep, whatever. It's 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 very good in that respect. I think it's um, it is bingeable as well, but I think it works well as sort of like a one a day type thing. Um, the other thing I want to just have a quick moan about: last week we were moaning about Prime Video. Uh, and the whole next time on Bosch mm-hmm. Legacy. This complaint isn't as bad as that, but it still annoys me. Disney Plus, every time an episode starts, they play a recap of the previous one and like a good couple of minute recap as well. And I just feel like the technology should be there now to know that if you've watched back to back episodes, Disney should know that. The system should be clever enough to know that the viewer has watched the previous episode literally a few seconds earlier and we don't need the recap. Maybe if you press play, I know, on episode four and the system can see you haven't watched any others that day or maybe that hour, maybe then do the recap. But it's a first world problem, but it just it just triggers me a little bit. But yeah, that's not down to the production, that's down to the platform. And so is it the, the type of show that kind of ends on a bit of a, a cliffhanger each season or is it kind of a, a bit yeah. of a one and done okay no always the they always had the setup well i think they did they did for between two and three and they certainly done it between three and four setting up what's to come next which is it's kind of cool because it, it sort of um firstly it gives you the certainty that there surely must be another season coming and there is um 
and just uh, it never allows them to quite be in a happy everything's mm. fine with the world place it always gives them something else to be podcasting about which is great oh this is good uh, look i i think you know always over that christmas break i i'll add this to my list of, of potential shows that i could be watching i've got a bit of bit of travel coming up so this could be the the perfect little side binge uh slash nice. palate cleanser i would also say it has one of the most hummable opening themes of of tv shows that are currently airing i'd argue so yeah that and the fact it makes me laugh a lot i think uh something in there i'll tell you one red flag you did mention paul is and i'm surprised that um you've referenced this is you said there's a bit of singing in the uh, latest season which yeah. is normally i don't I know that's sort of a and something that puts you off in other other shows so correct no that's a hundred percent it normally does but it, it's i think it's the comedy with which uh it's done particularly by steve martin um that's uh is quite funny and the fact that he's getting criticized for the way he's it's um it's it's humorous singing as opposed to mm-hmm. yeah it's it's the third season is based around a play at a production theater so it's um there's a there's a lot of that with matthew broderick trying to get the part but um yeah it's uh i'll say no more um not too much singing but just enough to notice cool the final thing before we uh i, I before i pass over to you Den, um this is a rewatch for me of a movie that you and I have both watched quite a few times, I would say. This is 2005's Batman Begins. Um, and I mean, I'll, I'll try to be quick because, uh, you know, I think it's quite old. Now. I mean, it just amazes me, firstly, that this is nearly, you know, nearly 20 years old. You know, next year it'll be 19 years old. It's incredible. How is it possible? It feels like 10 years ago, Max, that this came out. This movie is fantastic, Dan. It's still absolutely fantastic. This is the Christian, sorry, the Christian Bell uh, first of the trilogy, written directed by Christopher Nolan. Witnesses parents' death, and Bruce Wayne learns the art of fighting to confront injustice and becomes Batman. It's it's an incredible origin story. How does this stand? Like I haven't watched it since the release of the. Uh, the Batman um, with Robert Pattinson. How like how does does it feel dated? Does it still feel like it? Like obviously it's Christopher Nolan. Like I, I rate these movies pretty highly, but how does it feel now that we have that movie as well in the Bat universe? Yeah, it's it's interesting you ask that because it it hasn't aged. It feels as grand as it did then. All of the quality of the production and the directing and the sets and all of that and that wonderful Hans Zimmer score makes it still feel very very modern there's no sort of I don't know when something suddenly becomes apparent oh yeah that's quite old now you know thinking about it 2003 so just two years before this movie would would have been Terminator 3 which seems unthinkable doesn't it and that movie has aged and so that's the that's the quality of this movie that um, it just simply has. And and I think what I'm actually most excited about as I think about reviewing this is I sort of finished this, this movie thinking, blimey, I'd forgotten how good it was. And yet I also have a very strong memory within me of thinking that the next two are even better. And right now, having seen this one, I'm kind of like, how much have I forgotten about the next two in terms of how I feel watching them? Because this is, this is superb. And you know, it's 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 a very it's not a comicy it's not a comic book type of feel. You know, it's less it's not colourful. 
it's certainly got a graphic novel feel and it, what it does remind me of not that i've played them but i've seen them it is the look and feel of those Arkham video games. And it's very much like those, which obviously are exceptionally successful. This is good, Paul. So you you are, you are going to complete the trilogy? and um... It has to be done. It has to be done, yes. Yeah, so this, this week we'll be diving into the, the Dark Knight. And um, I have a very vivid memory of going to the the cinema, you know, Diana and I went and watched that and I just remember, you know, those ones you walk out and you just mm. like, you know, it's going to stick with you just like Batman 89 has stuck with me. It's, um, it's quite exceptional. Christian Bale is really well cast in this, uh, particularly I think as Batman. I'm not sure about Bruce Wayne. I still, you know, just like I wasn't sure about Robert Pattinson, there's still something about Christian Bale. I, I really like him as Batman. I just think there's, there's an arrogance about Bale, right? That comes through, and I think that that's warranted in this role, and it and it works well. I thought, um, what's his name? I can't think of his, uh, Cillian Murphy as 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 Scarecrow. I thought he was good. I thought he was creepy as Doctor Crane. But the the Alfred character is just it's just so so good. Michael Caine is potentially one of the best Alfreds. No matter which Batman I think of, I actually think they've always done well casting Alfred. But I just think Michael Caine is possibly top of the pops because he's just. I instantly respect him as I see him and I love his dynamic that he has. It's a very particular dynamic he has with Bruce. So um, yeah, it's really wet the appetite. Liam Neeson. Um, Liam Neeson is something that ages this movie a little bit because he looks so young in this, which is incredible. Um, a lot of other people don't seem to have changed that much. That's not the only thing that ages it is how young Liam Neeson looks. Mm. It's um, it is such a star side of cast, isn't it? Like even just looking at this IMDb page, so Christian Bale, Michael Caine, uh, mm. Ken Watanabe, Liam Neeson, Katie Holmes, Gary Oldman, Cillian Murphy. Like it's it's just incredible, and it's um, I think it's you know something you said earlier is, and this is the same thing with uh, the Robert Pattinson Batman is. I think the reason that Bruce Wayne's always feel a bit off is because Batman is more comfortable being Batman than he is being Bruce Wayne. And so mm. I actually think that's kind yeah. of a little bit of the the acting and, and the, the the skill of the, of, the, of the sort of craft as well. So, um, you know, this is good. I think this is one of those trilogies that I can watch anytime. Um, it's It's just so good, but it's much like The Lord of the Rings. Once you start, you've got to complete it. That's right. I'd say if there's one thing that, looking back on it, didn't work as well was, I don't know if you how, how well you recall the plot, but the, the plan to contaminate Gotham's water system mm. felt a little bit clunky in the execution of it as a, as a big finale. It's certainly not up there with the finales of the other two, I, I remember that much. But that that was, again, no no biggie. I feel like you mentioned there Gary Oldman as Gordon. I thought he was absolutely terrific. There, there's some really good lines in this movie, and one of his... That with Bell, I just thought it's a really simple piece of dialogue, but the two of them just execute it so well. At the end, Gordon says to him, I never said thank you. And then Batman looks at him and replies and says, And you'll never have to. I'm not going to do the voice, you know, you know, and you'll never have to. And then he, he flies off and the music rises and it's hitting, it's just hitting all the right notes, just how you want it to. And then they set it up with the, the cop coming up with the, you know, the, oh, this guy's left a calling card and it's Joker. And Batman just says, I'll look into it. And the rest is history so yeah this is awesome paul i love this um are you watching this on what netflix netflix yeah this is available uh on netflix and unlike um uh like when i watched lock stock last week 
which you know lock stock and two smoking barrels is only like five years older than this movie that's that's how close mm-hmm. it is it's incredible this 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 quality of this movie is, is is really high resolution on netflix so they've done a good job very good well you've had a very busy watching schedule over the Been last a busy week. boy dan busy what about you all right, I've got a, a couple of movies for you this week. So uh, the first movie is a movie that my lovely wife has been nagging me for quite a while. Um, <laughs> lovely wife and nagging doesn't really nagging. Together, does I love it? that. Um, well, she's been like, she's been wanting to watch the Gran Turismo movie, which is which is sort of funny to me because I, I feel like I couldn't think of a movie further from a movie that she'd want to watch, and she's been like, because it's been on like uh, Neon, you can rent it, or, like, iTunes, you can rent it, and I've just been fighting it the whole way, Paul, I've been like, nah, it's it's going to be on streaming any day now. Yeah. She's like, it's like six bucks, just rent it, and I'm like, ah, it's going to be streaming any day now, and I've been, anyway, long story short, I lost that war, and we uh, we rented the movie, <laughs> um, and, you know, so this is... This is this is this was a movie of interest to me, but I was just unsure unsure about like his pain for it. But it, so this is um, based kind of loosely on a on a true story. It's um, based very much around the the Gran Turismo video game, and so I'll, I'll read you out the synopsis. So, based on the unbelievable, inspiring true story of a team of underdogs, a struggling working class gamer. A failed former race car driver and an idealistic motorsport exec who risk it all to take on the most elite sport in the world. And so I was kind of interested in how they, how do you make Gran Turismo into a movie? But it's it's quite an interesting story. And it's, you know, to be honest, it was a it was a really good uh and fun movie. So the premise really is is so this uh this this young young gamer is, you know, he's Top of the, he, he he's a he's an expert like Gran Turismo player, um, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you've played any Gran Turismo um, back in your days, but you know there's there's a lot of skill to this. It's a it's not just a car racing game. It's a it's a real kind of simulator. Um, and so um, Archie uh, Kwai, I think that's how I say his name is. Mm-hmm. He's he's kind of like he competes in this event. Um, the uh, Orlando Bloom's character kind of convinces Nissan to be like, "Hey, look, let's get at these top tier gamers. See if we can turn them into into race car drivers." And they do exactly that. They kind of have this this pool of sort of thirty, forty race car like gamers who, and they take them out on the track. They teach them all the skills, and that eventually sort of whittles down to you know who who can be uh, a potential race car driver and. Yeah, so this this is actually based on a true story where this is this kind of this is this guy's journey where he gets kind of selected through this mechanism. He learns the race. He he goes on to um, compete and win many different races. Um, he's also the the stunt car um, driver in this, the 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 real life person. Um, mm. And yeah, it's just a. I think it's great action. Um, like it's it's kind of it's interesting. Uh, the cinematography and the direction by uh neil bloomham is is second to none um as i say pretty great cast it's even got um uh ginger spice paul is uh is the <laughs> mum in this it's, right. it's 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 a real sort of uh, mixed bag but it's a yeah I, I think this is just a if you were if you're into into any sort of car racing film into any sort of like good sort of like uh sports action movie like it's, it really was worth a watch, and I can imagine it probably would have been a lot of fun to go and see at the theater, 
uh, on the big screen with all the sounds. Uh, this is a this is the, all the guns watch for me. I'm glad I had my arm twisted and coughed up with the the six or seven dollars to to watch it. <laughs> Scrooge McDuck pays his six bucks. Well done. I'm curious. I've got a couple of things. Firstly, minor offence taken that um, if I was to have played any Gran Turismo, it would have been back in the day because clearly I'm too old to be playing that now. But secondly, I'm mostly interested in what was the drive? Did you uncover the driving appeal for what was driving your wife to want to watch this movie? Because I look at this and think, oh, I would watch it, but I wouldn't go after it. So is it through playing the game? Is it there a certain actor? Oh, look, or? yeah. Look, she's she's always been a bit of a PlayStation gamer. She she also is quite interested in, in car racing and enjoys racing games, but has never uh, self-confessed, been very good at them. So I wonder if it's kind of, you know, got, got the Gran Turismo memories. You know, and it's like looking at the trailer, like the, you know, David Harbour from Stranger Things, incredible, Orlando yeah. Bloom, classic. Like it's 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 got a lot of familiar faces, um, it's it's yeah. got a I I don't know. This is something about like um, you know, when they really pull off sort of like fast cars, high adrenaline, sort of like racing type films that it, it kind of comes together as quite a good package. And we watched this with a friend as well, and we were all three of us were just hooked from from start to finish on this. Like we we barely said a word to each other uh, through the whole movie, which is always a good sign. It is indeed, and for two hours fourteen, that's impressive. The director you mentioned, Neil Baumkamp, um, I think he's underrated. I think he's done a lot of good stuff. The, um, the District 9 always always stands out to me. Um, and um, I'm still to this day gutted that he had the Alien movie taken off of him because I think he would do something special with that. But looking at the pictures, and I just quickly watched the trailer play as you were talking, it, it does look very, 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 very slick. And I imagine um, anyone who's played the game would probably have that i could do that and that would be the the hook yeah well it's, it's funny right because i think they do a good job of kind of like you know kind of bringing in like the almost like the realism of actually you know like if you really understand the the mechanics of gran turismo which you know is understanding your racing line you know understanding the all of the different components um that impact your car on the track and the conditions and all that type of stuff and they they kind of often switch between kind of real life and overlaying kind of graphics and stuff that that make it feel like a video game but um look we definitely walked away from it thinking like god we need to be playing gran turismo um that's and and, and getting getting involved in this, so I imagine this has done some some wonderful things for uh, Gran Turismo game sales. And as you say, fantastic director, highly recommended. I think when this one comes out on streaming, it's a it's a definite recommend to watch from me. Very good. And if I want to hire it for six bucks, where do I get it? Uh, you can get it on uh, Neon here in New Zealand, or you can get it on iTunes or uh, Android or whatever the the Google people use. Um, to, <laughs> to to watch over there yeah. uh yeah but I, look, grief I, I, I get for that is unreal indeed indeed look I, I think it's i would imagine it's going to be out i would say maybe late december january so you, you probably don't have too long of a of a wait but um that's good it's a good one um the next movie um i'm also look i'm out here spending my hard-earned dollars ball um went to the movies uh, went to see uh, The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. So this was... What a great title. It, it's, a, it's a long title. And, and yeah. I, you know, I've been 
you know, as we sort of get our, our podcast ready to release, I have to keep going back to this page to remember the order of all of these words. Like, there's, there's just so much going on. Yeah. Um, this was another um, strong wife recommendation, to be honest with you. Like, we, like I enjoy the Hunger Games. Um, she's a big Hunger Games fan. Like, you know, loves the books, loves the movies. Um, I am not convinced I've even seen the third movie of the Hunger Games. Or the, the mo- correct um and so like like i like i know the universe I, I know the first movie very well so it was sort of interesting to um like i knew i was coming into a prequel um i i didn't really come into this movie with uh any expectations uh but it's it's basically i don't know whether you know much about this one paul but it's, it's basically the origin story of you know where the games are really starting like this i think they're starting at um game 10 or something so we're we're very early in it we're getting to see a a very young snow and the the evolution of his character um we're getting to see a version of the hunger games which is very different to the ones that we're used to and Mm. You know, it was interesting going to this movie. Like Samara said to me, oh, one of the things I love about the Hunger Games is it's like the great costumes and the, you know, that everything's over the top. And this movie almost couldn't have been further from that from that truth. It was very much like, to, without going sort of deep into spoilers for you, this was, you know, a Hunger Games event held in um, kind of a broken down arena. Like it wasn't out in the, you know. Right. In the, in the forest and with lots of daylight and stuff, and so it was also a very different movie. Like I think in the in the Hunger Games, you're obviously very connected with um, Katniss as a character. You're kind of going on her journey. Whereas, yet this is you know our our main Hunger Games competitor, um, Lucy Gray, played by Rachel Ziegler. It's, she, like she is a main character, but this really is snow story and you kind of just see his depending on your perspective on it i guess that the rise and fall of how he becomes uh the snow that we all know in the hunger games um i do have a couple of complaints i i know that you know it was recently discussed in our uh discord channel uh as um people enjoying this film mm-hmm. i did not enjoy it to be honest oh. with you and I think it's down to a couple of things. I think this movie's way too long, Paul, like way too long. In fact, at one point, I was just about like standing up out of my seat because I thought it was going to end and a whole new act started. And it's one of those movies where they break it into three acts. And I was like, okay, that's done. Like the game's done. But it was like, it was a whole nother almost like movie after the, the actual games have taken place. And I was just you'd like, you slapped oh. your thighs, you'd got up, you got your coat on, you got your keys in your hand ready to go. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that was me. I was actually, you know, I was sort of jingling them, being like, "All right yeah. then, all Here right, see everyone." <laughs> um, and so, like, so it's two hours thirty-seven, and I think, I think for me, it's a good thirty-seven minutes too long, probably forty minutes. Oh, so I, I kind of wanted a bit of a tighter story. The other thing is, and again, I said. Take this with a grain of salt because I think if you're a big Hunger Games fan, maybe this is going to spark a lot of joy for you. I just didn't feel invested in any of the characters. Even Snow, it was so, it just felt like, you know, at no time did I feel any sense of fear for what's going to happen to Snow because we know that he's in the in the later movies. You know, this is the thing we, we regularly yeah. sort of talk about with our movies named after characters. Um I was kind of like, oh, God, is this 
are they going to wrap this up in this movie? Is this going to be a trilogy of prequels? And it kind of felt like, like they did wrap it up, but you could also see them kind of like potentially dragging it out. But I think for me, the universe without kind of the the pomp and the flair and the the fun of even though your know, Hunger Games can be quite dark and this does have its share of darkness, it just it felt like kind of a fatiguing world to be in. And I don't know whether it's just you know kind of what we're all going through in the world these days, but um, it just it didn't spark any joy for me, and it felt kind of like drab and depressing, and it didn't mm. give the sort of escapism that I think the the first Hunger Games movie gave for me. So it's it's probably a bit of a miss for me. Um, and look, Samara was also in the same camp, um, which I thought was interesting because she is a fan. Um, mm. So yeah, I don't I don't know whether I'd recommend it. To be honest with you, I'm not even sure this movie was really needed. But I know they've got a they've obviously got a franchise here that um, is doing very well. So maybe I'm an anomaly, but um, yeah, a bit of a miss. I think it's particularly interesting. You know, someone reading the book also coming out with that same reaction because I think if you've read the book and maybe those characters are more familiar to you because I'm going in there and the first thing I'm looking for is um, Stanley Tucci is, is Caesar Flickerman and of course he's not going to be there uh, and that's the sort of the fun side of the the movie the Elizabeth the uh, Elizabeth Banks uh, Woody Harrelson you know those characters were were good it's not just because of the people who played them those characters were good the way they were written so if that fact is missing that is a shame although i just did a little google and there was some dude jason schwartzman who plays um uh, lucretius flickerman who potentially was an ancestor of caesar flickerman so who knows but um yeah i see it's the same director though again so he's obviously i think that's good francis lawrence who did all the all the previous movies carrying on that that's good continuity but something's missing Something's missing, and I'm. I think it's because, and uh, again, like I think because when I think of it, when I think about Katniss Evergreen, like she really centers, you know, what the Hunger yeah. Games is about. And I think I kind of felt like I was looking for that with Rachel Ziegler's character, and that's not really what she kind of provided. And I feel like in the, you know, as the Hunger Games get on, people actually go in there with a bit of, um, like you know, you have to fight for survival, whereas. This Hunger Games kind of felt like it was, there was a couple of school bullies, but most people weren't, weren't really in it for fighting. They were just kind of trying to outlast outlast the bullies. And I don't know, mm. it just didn't, like, it make, like, this is where I sort of feel conflicted because it makes sense because we're talking, like, we're real early in the Hunger Games life cycle. It hasn't evolved to what it is in those later movies. But I just don't know if it was... I don't know if it was interesting enough for me, and I think that's that's probably kind of my sticking point. And mm, yeah, I think I'll leave it there because I'm just probably really digging a, a deep hole for myself with all of those Hunger Games fans out there. But yeah, unfortunately, not for me. Be watching the the sequels on streaming platforms by the sounds of it, rather than the uh, going to the movies for the next one. If they're you know, if they're going to have more in between. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, indeed. Um, yeah, look, I think. Because I was sort of thinking we'll go to this, and I thought, oh, maybe it would inspire us. Oh, let's start the Hunger Games. But actually, I went to this, and I was like, I don't want to get, I don't want anything to do with it for a while. You know, I need, I need a bit of time out. So, um, mm. yeah, look, it's it's at the theatre. It may be for you. Who knows? Um, but um, that is me, Paul, um, on my watches this week. Shall we jump into our watch of the week? Indeed. So 
every week we now bring to the pod our watch of the week um, and this may be either a tv series or a movie we do announce what that will be in advance over in our discord community uh, where we now have a calendar of what our upcoming reviews will be for the next few weeks ahead so if you're keen to see what's coming up just click the discord link in the show notes and this week dan and i are reviewing season two of time yeah so this is a, a if you haven't watched uh time i i highly recommend uh you jump like you know maybe take a note of the show notes and maybe maybe come back after you've watched it time is you know it's only three episodes per season there, there's almost no excuse um this is and you don't need to watch season one first like there there you can you can jump in uh, to season one or two. Season one focuses on a men's prison. Season two is on a women's prison. Uh, we've got three uh, amazing actresses: Jodie Whittaker, uh, Tamara Lawrence, and Bella Ramsey. Uh, sort of what this focuses on, and each of them sort of find themselves in uh, in jail for various reasons. And over what is amazing in my mind, Paul, is that over three episodes, we're able to kind of deep dive into their backstory, uh, why they're there, how they get on with the other prisoners, the trials and tribulations in their life. And I don't know about you, but after each episode, you, your 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 heart feels heavy for all of these characters, for the system, for the conditions, for just everything going on. This is both grim and a must watch at the same time. Yeah, all those words, must watch, grim, um, brutal, powerful, tense, lots of lots of suspense as well. Um, so many great words I could use to describe it. I think you're absolutely right. I think um I think you're absolutely right with the the the, the real crux of this alongside the story you've just sort of like described is those three actresses, all all three of them, top of their game. I, I I think, and uh, not to, I just want to kick off with this, not to hijack this with, with more Doctor Who talk, but I absolutely love seeing Jodie Whittaker on screen being given uh, an absolutely top quality story to be a part of because she can really sink herself into a role. And that was demonstrated here, just like it was all the way back in Broadchurch. You know, she, she reminded me that she really is, I think a favorite actress of mine, and I, I would put her up there because I often talk about, you know, um, like like um, Olivia Coleman, um, Jodie Foster types, and and I and I put her up there. And I think I'll tell you who else I'm beginning to think I would include in this company, and that is Bella Ramsey. What an absolute talent she is! Yeah, look, Bella is a superstar, right? And I think to to have the last of us. Uh, Game of Thrones and now Time and numerous other TV shows and movies uh, under their belt is is incredible. Yeah, and uh, I, I, it was so interesting hearing that accent, of course, and and just like you sort of discover with Charlie Cox, um, oh, they're actually they're actually British, and um, so that was that was an interesting thing to sort of adapt to. But yeah, just absolutely fantastic. Possibly the hardest performance of all, and the character with which I maybe empathise the most. And I empathize with all three prisoners. And that's the beauty of the series. As you said, you sort of leave it with a heavy heart and just feeling so bad. Is, is Tamara Lawrence uh, as Abby, I felt like her character had to suffer a harrowing ordeal during her sentence. Really, really tough watch. 
Well, I think that that's kind of the the interesting, I think, take on this, isn't it? Because um, obviously we're sort of deep into spoilers now, but you know, uh, Tamara Lawrence's character Abby is is kind of in for a she's in for life type thing, whereas mm. you know, um, Jodie Whittaker's character is kind of in through a a series of unfortunate events, which you know. <sighs> She she obviously did commit a crime, but it just seemed like it seems such a harsh punishment. And then you've got uh, Bella Ramsey's character, who I think you know she undergoes some pretty grueling things over these three episodes. Mm. And again, kind of, I think it just gets you thinking about you know what happens when someone goes goes into the prison system, what it, impact it kind of has on them, that the choices you have to make, what it means when you get out, if you get out, how you kind of get kind of pulled back into the system it's 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 kind of a, a very sad tale and you know i think there's there's one scene in particular that just is unbelievable like believable but just unbelievable and it's like i think when jodie whittaker's character gets released from from jail and she's got nowhere oh, to go my goodness and the, the, they, they're like here's a tent and that, that that's kind of the solution like yeah i I didn't look up and I meant to actually, you've just reminded me sort of like how much of this would actually happen in real life today in, in modern day Britain. Is that something that would actually occur? Are the circumstances so bad that that would happen? And I felt like they had no reason to dramatize that if it, it was not a possibility of something that might, might happen. Um, there, there was a lot of, fascinating themes throughout this series and you've touched on a couple of them i mean we had there's the restorative justice the you had all those complexities of small crimes that have life-changing consequences you've got the the actions of others towards you when you go into the system both inside and outside and again depending on the crime you've done the way the family react in different ways particularly the children and of course the other side of the coin then is is the the prison guards, the prison officers. And I learned from watching this, Dan, that I would not... Well, you and I are writing a book on places that we wouldn't survive. Obviously, one of those is prison, I think. But even as a prison officer, I would not make it because I would be fired for... So there's that scene, and again, we should have said at the start, sorry, do use the time codes because we are going deep in spoilers. Recommend watching this. There's that scene where uh, Bella Ramsey's partner comes in and tries to sneak the sneak the the heroin in for her, and she doesn't want it. But of course, you know she's sort of found with it on her possession, hidden within the baby's clothing. And if I was that prison officer at that time, I would have seen what happened here. I'd have been like, she doesn't want this. He's brought it in. I would have put it in the toilet, flush it down, and said, "Look, he's done. He's not coming back." And that's dishonest. I would. Uh, yeah, I'm putting my hand up saying I would not survive, but I would, I would not have been able to do what that prison officer did. It's great TV. Think, <clears throat> yeah, look, I think yeah that they, they were tough scenes, and I think this is actually another thing I think the show does well is so often uh, on prison TV shows the the guards or the the prison officers are kind of treated just as much like the the criminals mm. or, or the villains of the system. I think it was a Lisa Miller, I think is the is the main prison officer in this. I just thought such a wonderful actress as well. Like just, you know, particularly taking um Bella Ramsey and Jodie Whittaker's characters sort of under under her wing and kind of looking out for them and 
really kind of, I don't know, it's just, I think it showed a depth to how hard it must be to be a prison officer at the same time and, you know, how much you are there to kind of enforce the rules. And I can only imagine, Paul, like, you know, you let one of those things slide and, and where does it stop, you know, and it must be such a, a tricky thing. And I had the same thought watching this TV show. There is no way I would ever want to be a prison guard. Like, I just, mm. I just couldn't even imagine. It's And it was really really interesting dynamics of how those prison officers were acting as well because they were showing care and 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 empathy and kindness but always holding that letter of the law and you know i guess that's obviously absolutely to the letter, to the letter of the law um the other thing that came through really strong was and this was both with jody's character and bella's character was that fear of social services the fear of the of the baby or the or the child going into interstate care and the desperation around absolutely anything to avoid that happening right down to of course you know again spoilers jody character when she is released then gets thrown back in because she commits a minor crime to get money because she just wants a place to be able to live with her kids and it's it's just an ongoing circle i also realized then i just wanted to touch because i said last week um, when I when we announced this show as our next watch of the week, I said, "Oh, this is completely unrelated series. You know, the, you, you don't need to watch one or the other." And I was saying that before I even watched it, but of course, um, that's not at all the case because um, I'm just now desperately searching for the actress's name, Sh- um, Siobhan Finneran's character, who plays like the the counselor, the chaplain. Um, she plays that character in the men's prison opposite opposite Sean Bean in series one. So that is a link. Was there any other links between the two series you spotted? No, but I still think you could still watch these in any order that you that you need. Oh, like yeah. You don't you don't oh, need sure. to Yeah, like if you if this was more of more interest than the men's prison one, then it's not enough of a story to connect it. But it's it's such a an easy slash hard watch. Um, mm. I don't know why you wouldn't want to watch both seasons. Uh, you'll probably want several cups of tea in between each episode. But um, yeah. no, I think Siobhan Finneran, you know, like I'm such a big fan of her from Happy Valley. Um, it's great, great to see her in anything. Yeah, no, she she is real good value. Um, I think just back into the into the prison though, the the treatment that each of the, the the main three that we follow through this receiving and I think, you know, in in particular given the nature of 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 the crime, um I, I think that, you know, Tamara's character sorry, yeah, Abby, her you know, she was treated so badly. Some crimes are not forgiven and the the hatred of some people is is so strong and i love that how they had those big sessions with siobhan's character where they all came together to to allow a person to say their piece and to be seen and it was a reminder to me that you know despite appearances despite facts as they're presented to you no one knows everyone's full story Mm, indeed indeed and just um on that note paul i'm just going back to that tent conversation i've just done a a quick google and there is hundreds of articles about people in the uk and us being given tents unbelievable um, on release from as a you know a failed system i guess you know there's not enough housing there's not enough places to at least let us give you something it's um no it really this this whole tv show really makes you think about the system this is 
it's it's always so insightful I think to get a, a glimpse into a whole other world that you just have have no idea about and I think you can really tell that they've done I can imagine our, our three main actresses have really spent some time I imagine with um with and in a woman's prison just to really understand the the conditions yep. the environment the mannerisms like it just it feels like some real deep deep method acting so look this is this is an all the gun show for me Oh, same here as well. And, and I just want to come back to your point around how they cram so much into such a short space of time. Because you and I often talk about TV shows that are just dragged out or there's lots of filler or, oh, they did it in 10 episodes. They could have done it in eight. They do get so much in there, so much background. We even get those little side stories with the other inmates, you know, the mm-hmm. two in the cell, the one with the, the Christmas card from the sun that wasn't really from the sun. That was a really interesting story as well. And you know, that comes down to great writing. And I do want to call out the writer here because this is written by someone who I've enjoyed since the early 90s, uh, Jimmy McGovern, who wrote the Robbie Coltrane police psychologist drama Cracker, which is is has aged, uh, but is still absolutely fantastic. And I think, yeah, Jimmy McGovern clearly still, still has it as a writer many, many years on. I, um, I do wonder then if there is... Will there potentially be a third season of time? And if there is, then what does it look like? Because, you know, we've had a men's prison, we've had a women's, you know, we know it's the same universe because we have, you know, we've got Claire from Happy Valley tying it all together. What what, what might a third season look like for you? I hate to say it, Paul, but I think it's a youth, youth justice type oh, facility. Wow. Oh, why did I even go there? Okay. Yeah, I, like I can, it, it kind of feels like the, uh, the natural next Next yep. step. I um, seen that coming. Yeah, that's oh, crikey. That will be that would be a tough watch then. And and saying that though, if they didn't want to go down that path, I think you know they could easily go back to the men's prison. Like they could almost alternate. Like you know, if they were to do a couple of seasons. Um, but I think you know, to your point that like it's only three episodes. Uh, part of me wanted more at the end. Like, yeah. I kind of like I got to the end yeah. and I was like, I want to know that it's going to be okay and that these guys make it and you just don't, you just don't get it. That, that's, that, the, that's the hard thing with a show like this. It's, yeah, you're right. It's almost a criticism. It's almost too short. And, you know, as I say, for all those shows we said, oh, you know, we just didn't need 10 episodes. This is one where I could easily have gone four, five, six without any shadow of a date and I would have been happier with more more backstory, more story on the outside with the with the families more story of some of the side characters been the place, you know, going between the prison and that sort of house that they had rights to go into that was sort of lower security. I thought there was all kinds of stories that could have played out. But um but this is this is uh, something that, you know, we've talked about it before. People like Ricky Gervais, other writers do really well. They really condense it down so that there's no filler. You just get premium quality story and you just end up wanting more. And that's always a great sign. There's nothing better than finishing something and just wanting to have seen more. Couldn't agree more. So this is uh, Time. You can watch that on Neon, both seasons available right now. But the uh, the million-dollar question, Paul, is what is your pick of the week? Yeah, that's a real tough one, Dan, because you, you heard how much I thought um, Doctor Who was good and how incredible going back in Batman Begins was again. But I am going to go with time. I I found it, as I say, just a truly 
engaging, stressful show that I was gutted when it finished. So yeah, I'm going time. What about you? Yeah, look, I think I'm the same. I think though I really enjoyed Gran Turismo, I I weirdly had a great time in, in Doctor Who. Um, I just can't go past time. I think it's shows like this sit with me for a long time and they're and I think that sort of just shows, I think, the the depth and the quality of the writing and the acting and directing. So it's a it's an easy choice um, and one I would recommend checking out. Very good. So that is our Watch of the Week. Next week, our Watch of the Week is Season 2 of The Lazarus Project. This is a show worth noting that uh, did feature in our Top 10 podcast uh, for last year with season one so big expectations for this second season that's available to watch in new zealand on neon and again a quick reminder you can see everything on our watch of the week schedule for the month ahead just by clicking on the link in the show notes on discord all right shall i take us on over to the news desk so not too much on the uh on the desk today uh, but speaking of blu-rays uh apparently oppenheimer in 4k and blu-ray is selling out so quickly um in retail that universal's having to work hard to try and get restocks in place uh for the upcoming holiday period i think that's like it's it's kind of great right it's kind of like great to get some some classic media yeah. especially you know uh another nolan movie um that I imagine people are going to want to come back to time and time again. So um, the resurgence is here. Um, what else have I got here? So Robert Eggers' uh, Nosferatu, um, which is uh, his latest movie, has finally had a release date set for Christmas 2024. So still a year away, but it's uh, meant to be the, the next big gothic horror hit. Uh, which has got a, an all-studded sort of star cast, and it's it's going to be about sort of a, you know, obviously a Dracula-inspired event. So I imagine that will be something to look forward to. Um, what else? So we've got uh, a little bit of news on the Alien TV show. So um, Timothy uh, Timothy uh, Oliphant, who we we know most recently from The Mandalorian, The Book of Boba Fett, or shows like Deadwood, he is joining the the Alien TV series cast. I think I I, I love Tim, Timothy Oliphant. He's mm-hmm. a great actor, Justified as well. He will be a fantastic add-on to that. So looking forward to seeing what happens there. He's he's reunited, of course, with with Noah Hawley, who he worked with previously um so i think the two of them back together will be really exciting in a franchise that you and i love all the Mm. ingredients indeed uh last week on the podcast we talked about how uh, melissa barrera was let go or fired as some uh, media outlets are reporting from uh scream seven so in a follow-up to that gina ortega just a a day or so later has dropped out of screen seven as well and so it's you know the media is sort of reporting on that that it's down to scheduling conflicts, I imagine that is not the case at all. Correct. And linked to that, it now looks like they're trying to bring uh, Neve Campbell back for Scream 7. So, so funny. They couldn't afford her for the last one, and now all of a sudden they need a lead. They're going to go back. And I'd love Neve Campbell to say no, even though I'll be there for another Scream movie. I just love the, uh, the idea of people um, sticking – because I think you're right. I think what – Jenna Ortega has done is is not scheduling 
conflict mm, at all. Indeed, indeed. So watch this space. Um, I'm sure there there is many more things to play out in this drama um, before the movie even gets anywhere near our screens. And a final bit of news from me. So apparently uh, Disney has been in touch with Tim Allen and Tom Hanks for a possible Toy Story 5. So I don't know how to feel about this one, Paul. I feel like this is a... It was kind of it's a bit old for this franchise, I think, but it feels like it's obviously loved by by so many people. Yeah. Um, and I imagine uh, Toy Story Five would be just as great as all the other ones. But uh, that is me on the news desk. Anything on your side? Just a few um, release announcements. Um, so, Vigil season two um, that you and I both enjoyed. That's out ten December. So that has a chance of being in consideration for the top 10 of this season. If we get to it in time, we'll have to wait and see. Um, That's definitely on my list to watch. Uh, There's an announcement of a Terminator anime series, which um, I think is is, is an interesting uh, sort of project there. And I've I've talked about three seasons of Money Heist on this uh, podcast. Uh, Previously, there is a spin-off um, called Berlin that comes out next month, end of uh, December 29 on Netflix as well. So another TV series. That one will be too late because I think by then we will have we will have gone on our Christmas holidays. But um, yeah, there's still more and more content coming out, which is good because we have had some lulls in between. Very good. I look forward to checking out a few of those shows. Anything in the mailbag this week? A couple of things here, Dan. Firstly, a shout out to Ringo. Uh, here from the from the Hizat here in the Wellington region of New Zealand uh, he uh, his wife was listening to the the Half Measures podcasts uh, as you do I like it when people play it out loud in our speaker system so that other people can can also listen in uh, so he was listening in uh, as a sort of like a spectator and asked his wife have they got Nathan from Ted Lasso on this podcast this week and the response to Ringo was, no, that's not Nate, that's Paul. So um, I'm, I am apparently uh, somewhat akin to, to Nathan Shelley, uh, played by Nick Mohammed uh, from Ted Lasso. Do you know what? As long as I'm not associated with, with Nate's behaviours, I'm not against that at all. Not against that at all. Um, what else have we got here? Uh, so Bosch has always been a franchise that um, gets involved with, with 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 our podcast reviews. And this was the case for the fourth review we did uh, in a row for us with them. We had LAPD Officer Vasquez, a.k.a. Denise Sanchez, LAPD Officer Calderon, a.k.a. Danielle Laracorento, and that dodgy as Detective Long, a.k.a. Guy Wilson, all shared our review on their social media. And, of course, as always, the series creator, the author himself, Michael Connolly, he shared our review on his Instagram and on Teams as well. So that was great. Uh, (laughs) Not Teams, Threads. (laughs) I mean, he may have shared it on Teams, but I don't have access to his Teams to know for sure. Um, I really hope that when you're a celebrity, you don't have to deal with teams like that. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the worst to think that you know, you've made it and you've still got to have teams. Like, yeah. Well, you and I both know. Well, actually, maybe we don't. In you know, in Welcome to Wrexham, they're they're on Zoom calls. I guess Zoom isn't quite as corporate as Teams, perhaps. But yeah, I know what you mean. You wouldn't think you'd have to, but this day and age, what else have we got? Um, 
Oh, Micah Abbey, who plays Donatello in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, shared a post on Instagram as well. Also, Dan, an anonymous source pointed out, talking of teams, funnily enough, this is where I think I got teams in my head, pointed out uh, something going all the way back to our poll that we had uh, a while ago around the emoji for uh, is it high-fiving or is it is it mm. the, the prey emoji? If you go into Microsoft Teams, there is if you search their emojis for for prey, the animated one that comes up shows the two hands animated coming together and then finishing in the emoji. But if you type in high five, it shows the open hand coming towards you. So I'm just gonna I don't want to restoke the fire, but just more evidence that perhaps I was correct after all, which is a rarity these days. Look, I feel like taking any type of like life guidance or counselling from Microsoft Teams, it, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't cut it for me. It's no. it's it's not a trusted source. That's that's a fair comment. Um, and then finally, last week's uh, peak performance was Sean Bean, and we had a few suggestions come in. Uh, Bruce Gray from the Scottish Highlands came in with a real belter early doors, and that was when Saturday comes. Uh, quite possibly the best 90s football movie ever. If you are a fan of When Saturday Comes, can I also recommend that you listen to the review that Josh Widdicombe does on his podcast, Quickly Kevin. You'll absolutely love it. It's a really great shout, Bruce. If you haven't seen it, Dan, I know you're getting into your football now, you know, with Nottingham Forest and Welcome to Wrexham. When Saturday Comes is a, is a real fun watch with Sean Bean. Um, Andy from Wiltshire in the UK uh, went with the the 90s classic Sharps Enemy. Uh, Sarah from Wellington went with Game of Thrones, adding it's the best beard ever. Um, Diana from Captain Coast went with Lord of the Rings. And Paddy from Time Traveling Tink Podcast, 321 of uh, GoldenEye, Fellowship of the Ring, and the peak performance was Sharp as well. And he says if he's forced to narrow it down, he would either go with Sharps Waterloo or with Sharp's Eagle, which he played opposite Daniel Craig. That is the mailbag then. I'm glad that Petty narrowed it down because he's already using the old format of 321. Yeah. So you're damn right, Petty. You're going to narrow it down. <laughs> damn right. But um, a couple of mentions in there for Sharp um, from different people, which is interesting because that was a very, very successful series back in the 90s. So um, good to see that rear its head again. Dan, shall we go into this week's big performance? We shall indeed. So each week, but like our Watch of the Week, Paul and I take turns choosing different actors, actresses, directors, um, whoever we like, and we choose what we think is their peak performance. Uh, this week, uh, we've had a, a nomination from Patreon producer Samara Whiting-King that she would like us to choose a peak performance for the main man himself, Mr. Vin Diesel. Paul, what do you got for me? Yeah, so always love a suggestion for peak performance. So there's just two years. I was just looking at it and just double checking. Am I right? Yeah, just two years between my my picks for honourable mention and for uh, peak performance. The honourable mention is from 1998, uh, where he played Private First Class Adrian Capazzo. Um, in saving Private Ryan from Steven Spielberg, and he was he he was a supporting character in the film, admittedly, but he was still quite prominent because he was one of the seven people that was picked 
during the latter stages of World War II to go and find Private Ryan. And um, I just felt like he's got that build, he's got that look, he's got that voice that actually I think really suited quite well in in that role. So that was one of those performances that I sort of was like, oh, yeah, that's right, he was good in that. So that was my honorable mention. But my peak performance is a year later, and that is opposite Jennifer Aniston in 1999's The Iron Giant, um, in which he stars in the title role of The Iron Giant. And I think he does an incredible job because I think bringing to life this character, and this is based on a book that I remember reading at school. We did this at school. So this is, you know, this is a classic book. I think it's like 70s or something. Um, and he really brought it to life in the portrayal of this 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 huge alien from outer space that brings destruction you know, is, is destroying um, like industrial equipment and all this sort of stuff. And then he meets this young kid and they form this relationship. And it's a really, it's a really good story. And in the wrong hands, I don't think it would have worked, but it's a really good movie from Brad Bird. If you haven't already seen it, I definitely would recommend it. So yeah, Saving Private Ryan and The Iron Giant are my picks, Dan. What about you? I don't normally say this, Paul, but it's it's disappointing that you haven't chosen the uh, the correct <laughs> movie for peak performance. But um, don't worry, I'll I'll get us there. So um, go. so for my honourable mention, um, it was a good choice, Band of Brothers. I I almost went with it myself, but I've decided to throw a bone to two thousands uh, Pitch Black, where uh, Vin Diesel plays um, Richard B. Riddick. I haven't seen this movie for a long time, but this was such a, a classic sci-fi action horror growing up where you know this first pitch black movie i don't know just it was a real cult classic i don't know how it what it's like today and whether it's still a good watch or not i'd I'd be intrigued please write in but you know riddick's ship crashes on the planet it's got all these like aliens on it you're pulling faces paul like this is news to you or bringing back i didn't know this was a prequel to riddick i didn't know there was a prequel to it did i say prequel well, it was it was made before Riddick, and then oh, he, made yeah, Riddick, right, right. he made Riddick. He did Riddick in twenty thirteen, but this is the this is the original. Yeah, this is the yeah. original. Yeah, yeah. No, so this this is this is great. Like, I, as I say though, I would be questionable what it would look like today. I would imagine it probably hasn't aged well, but it was it was a lot of fun because I think this was really when I think Vin Diesel was kind of in his peak, and he he kind of had choices, right? Like he had choices around: Am I going to go pitch black? Um, am I going to go Triple um, X or am I going to go Fast and the Furious? And th- this this was this was one of the ones that he kind of you know really leaned into. So great movie. Um, love the chrome eyes. Love the ability they can see in the dark. And that he's a he's sort of a, a full killer. I, I should check this out again sometime. It's it's been way too long. But for my my peak performance, Paul, you you knew this was coming. I, I can't go past it. One of the greatest movies of our time. It's uh, 2001's The Fast and the Furious, the original movie about family. I think for me, you know, I've I've said this many a time. This is this Fast and the Furious one is such a fantastic movie. It is a movie I can watch, in, like I could watch it straight out of this podcast. That's how much I enjoy this movie. I loved that it was, you know, kind of about like, you know, 
just street racing and you know like they were stealing blu-ray players or dvd players and you know they were hijacking trucks and i I don't know just the cast was great it's a ridiculous movie the storyline's dumb uh tuna no crust sandwiches everything about it's just good and i just feel like it's just got slowly worse and worse ever since then and and to the point which i really sort of despise the what the franchise has become today and i kind of wish that it was um you have to move that a little bit to the I can't quite see it. It's not quite on the on the screen. Paul, show me something on his phone. I was about to play the Oscars music. You know when they start playing the music oh, to, get yeah. the per- to get the person get the off hype. the stage. Okay. <laughs> he, all right, I'll, I'll wrap. I'll wrap it up. I'll wrap it up. But this is this is such a great Vin Diesel movie. Like his character is ridiculous. The story is ridiculous. Everything about it. But it's um, the DVD players are ridiculous. <laughs> it truly is. Like this is a movie that I that I do own on physical media because it is a national treasure. And it should be protected. So um, for me, 2000's Pitch Black. And then uh, 2001's, also a year later, The Fast and the Furious. Interesting, just a year apart, the two of them. And yeah, I genuinely, in all seriousness, did not know that there was another Riddick movie. And that I was just looking through the IMDb notes and the, the link between the two movies and how he introduces himself as this character in Pitch Black before going into the Riddick movie and... Yeah, very interesting. Good choices. Dan, I will give you that that Fast and the Furious first movie was was certainly something special in the context of all of them. It was my favourite, so there you go. Indeed, indeed. Well, Paul, that probably brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast. It does, indeed. Thank you, as always, for listening in. If you're new to the podcast, if you're looking for a specific review of a movie or TV show, don't forget you can go to our website, halfmeasurespodcast.com click on reviews and search through our database we now have over 850 reviews Dan how about that quality that's what I say and I imagine Paul it's probably just about coming up to the the season of Spotify wrapped I look forward to hearing from some of our listeners whether we've we've made it onto your rap list while you're over in Spotify it would be the greatest Christmas gift that one could ask for if you could leave us uh, um, a star rating review helps us get recognised and above um, two stars at least. Five, five give, give us five for Christmas, you know. Like, <laughs> you know, we don't ask for much, but um, it would be great if you could do that. But um, I want to give a, a very special shout out to our Patreon producers, Samara Whiting King, Diana Kanawa, Trisha Brady, and Michael Chalmers. If you too would like to become a Patreon producer of the show, then you can find all of those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone. Adios.